Again, I want to thank you guys for having uh, been supportive. Um, <clears throat> I don't always mention when I'm going away ahead of time. The leadership usually know. Uh, and the reason why I don't isn't because I don't want the prayer support. I do. But sometimes people will put less emphasis on a Sunday morning if Pastor Rob's not here. And to be quite honest, I don't like that. It hurts me because if I'm here or not here, God is here and we come to worship him. I am not the show. He is the show. Can I get an agreement? I appreciate, yeah, go on, give him a round of applause. You know, I appreciate the fact that uh, you respect me, you love me, you honor me, and you love the gift that is on my life. But again, if I, if I ever overshadow who God is, we've really missed the boat and we're in trouble. And the other thing is, I respect and honor my fellow pastors here that work under me. And when they preach, I want them to have as much of a full house as I usually get. And so I, I want to thank you. I watched the service, and you guys were really switched on. You were behind Pastor Stephen, and uh, he did a great job. You all did a great job, and that makes me a very happy pastor. All right? Uh, so I got asked to speak about uh Four or five weeks ago at a conference in Virginia. It was a conference made up of pastors and leaders. And uh, I, they asked me to take a morning session. There was over 100 pastors. And since then, here in the States, I'm unknown. In Australia, when I lived in Australia, I have that word for you. I'm going to bring it right after I preach because I want you to hear the message as well. It's all tied in together. Uh, but in Australia, I was part of a large denomination, and I was traveling every six weeks uh, in different pulpits. I come here to America, and relatively nobody knows me, and that's okay. But God decided to pull the curtains back. And so uh, about four weeks ago, I managed, God allowed me to preach, and so some invitations have been coming in. And uh, how many of you know it's good to sow your pastor out every once in a while? Right? It's a good thing. And uh, it helps, it blesses, well, hopefully it blesses the rest of the body of Christ. And uh, you get blessed as you show me out as well. I was talking to Larry briefly before church. He said, I'm waiting to hear what happened. So Friday night, first time ever, I was in McMinnville, uh, Tennessee, a little town of 13,500 people, uh, halfway between Nashville and Knoxville. And, you know, these little churches, they don't often, it's harder for them to get speakers to come out. Everybody wants to go to the big place. And, uh, you know, I've been there, uh, pioneered a church in Dubbo, Australia, 30,000 people. And uh, I remember what it was like to be in a little town and feel like you're forgotten. And so it was a privilege. It was an honor for me to be there. I love I got to tell you, I love pastors, especially pastors who are pastoring in small towns because they work just as hard, they are just as committed, they love Jesus just as much, but they don't have the same uh, population to draw from, and they're hardly ever noticed. 
And yet they make the same sacrifice and they are just as sincere as preachers in big cities. And so my heart goes out to them and so I jumped at this opportunity. I was invited. I went Friday night, opening night. I had never been in McMinnville and uh, had never been in this church before. I had only met the pastor very briefly at the conference where I spoke. He came up to me, told me his name. He said, I really enjoyed your preaching. That was awesome. Do you do revivals? <laughs> and before I could even think about what he was saying, I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, okay, I'm calling you for a revival. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, as the time came closer and the night was about to happen, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if they're going to pull out the snakes and start handling snakes, you know. I mean, here, here I am in the backwoods of Tennessee. I had no idea. Pastor, if you're watching, if you watch this live stream, your church was awesome. And they really were. You know, I didn't know what to expect in terms of the culture of their church. I didn't know what to expect in the culture of a little town in Tennessee. And so... Believe it or not, I was apprehensive. And the moment they started to worship, I thought, you know what? Most of us are like the rest of us. These people just love Jesus. And uh, it, nothing else matters. They love Jesus. And we had a fantastic night. Uh, many people got healed that night. And uh, when I say they got healed, things that could be verified. And so when a husband came out the front with a particular problem and told me what the problem was, I would call the wife out. When the wife came out, I'd call the husband out and make sure they weren't exaggerating. The partner would verify it. And then when we prayed and they started to get freedom of movement or release of pain, I had people running around the building. I had a mail carrier who L4, L5 damaged and uh, radiating pain down his right leg, uh, his left leg and his knee. And the guy's doing jumping jacks on the spot. I told him, run around the building twice. He ran around three times. I asked his wife, Does he, can he do this? She said, I haven't seen him do this in over seven years. We had an elderly man, 88 years old, come in on a walking cane. And they have like a, we call this, not only is this a platform, but this is like a dais, and they have a square dais, a little bit lower. And I had everyone out the front. You know me, I get real casual. I, I hate being religious. And so we're sitting down, and this elderly man is sitting down next to me. And uh, we, we got up a couple of times, and he could not stand up from a seating position. Both the pastor of the house and myself both times had to help him up and personally, quite a bit of effort to get him up. So we pray with him, and before you know it, the man is walking around the building without his cane. He left with the cane under his arm, and to really test uh, whether or not there was a significant improvement in the healing in his body, I got him to sit down, and he sat down and stood up twice, totally unassisted totally unassisted. Amen. Yeah. 
Then, uh, of course, uh, as the meetings continued, some people got baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Uh, we had, I prophesied over the church, over the pastors. I brought a, 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 a prophetic word. And then, uh, again, Sunday night, I mean, every meeting was quite different and special. And Sunday night, we were moving in the word of knowledge uh, a lot, very specific words of knowledge. It was not a big crowd. God help us when we'll only go to a church if there's a big crowd. That is a really sad thing. Because if we'll only go when it's a big crowd, then it's about us and not about the people or about what God wants to do. So there was probably 40 people or so, and God gave me a word that there was someone in the auditorium that had profuse and regular nosebleeds to the point that it was like an issue of blood. Remember the woman in the gospel? She had an issue of blood, and no one responded. You know, when no one responds, it really does your confidence a lot of good. Not. <laughs> so you start fishing a little bit, and you said, well, I'm pretty sure you're here, uh, but maybe it's a relative. Anyway, and, and that's when you start fishing a little bit. And uh, one of the singers points to her 12-year-old brother and says, that's you. He goes, no, it's not. <laughs> she goes, yes, it is. He goes, no, it's not. So I walked up to the young man. I won't say his name. I said, so is your sister telling me a big, fat fib? Everyone starts laughing. He said, well, I haven't had it this month. I said, I get it. You're a guy. You're cool. It's gone. Everything's good. And your sister is concerned about you. You're her little brother. And she's saying, you have it. I get it. And God's saying, it is going to be gone. He's going to fix it tonight. Uh, the sister said to him, in fact, this was the kicker. She said, you know you have it. They were going to cauterize the inside of your nose to stop the bleeding. An issue of blood. Now, that's a pretty specific word of knowledge. And uh, I turned to the congregation. I called the young man. I said, come, do you trust me? He said, yeah, I trust you. I said, I want 40 people here. There are 40 people in the crowd. I said, how many of you think that in a crowd of 40 people, to come up with a word of knowledge that says somebody has an issue of blood in their nose, you bleed regularly, and when you do, it's profuse. And then there happens to be someone in the crowd who is supposed to get their nose cauterized because they bleed. How many of you think that is pretty accurate and not likely to happen in a crowd of 40 people? Everyone put their hands up. And I said, young man, have a look. I said, the reason why I want you to see this and the reason why I'm saying this and the reason why I'm telling you, I said to him, I want you to understand God knows you and he cares about you. And then God started to tell me very specific things about his childhood. He was only 12 years old. And God told me to give the young man a hug. I found out later from the pastor the next day that everything was spot on. And so there were many words of knowledge like that Sunday night. And again, church, just like I told them, the word of knowledge is not meant, the gifts are not meant to look, make the preacher look good. The words of knowledge and the gifts of the Spirit are meant to reveal God. Amen. Here's the God of the universe 
knowing what's on the heart of a 12-year-old young man. And he's speaking into his life very specific things that it's not my business to repeat, uh, but very, very accurate. And that's the nature of our God. Can I get an agreement? Are you with me? So I want to thank you for praying uh, and believing with me. I know Pastor Stephen encouraged you all and told you that I would be preaching again. When he was preaching, he told you I'd be preaching again Sunday night. And uh, I just thank you for you guys and for your prayers. Amen. All right, we're going to jump into the Word this morning. And uh, I want to preach a message, the God you perceive. The God you perceive. Now, three weeks ago, I preached a message, rewards. It's a kingdom concept. God is a rewarder. Rewards is a kingdom concept. And uh, I quoted the scripture from Luke chapter 18 where a certain young ruler asked him and said, asked Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life, eternal life? If you don't know whether or not you're going to have eternal life today at the end of this service, I want to give you that opportunity to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. Jesus is the gateway. He is the entrance to having eternal life. But this young man said, good teacher. And Jesus defines this word in the Greek, and he says, no one is good except for God. God alone is good. So he took good from, oh, that's good ice cream, to God is good, meaning absolutely morally perfect. And the word good we found three weeks ago in the Greek is agathos, and it means intrinsically good. And intrinsic, the word intrinsic means by inborn, natural, constitutionally built in, ingrained, inseparable. In other words, God by nature is absolutely everything that is 100% pure and 100% good. How many of you remember us going through that? That was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the story ends with Jesus says to the young man, he, the young man's boasting, I've, I, I've fulfilled all the commandments. I, I, I've loved my mother and father. I've honored them. I've fulfilled all the commandments. And Jesus said, there's one thing you need to do. You're very wealthy. And the love of money is with you. He says, you need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Sometimes our possessions possess us more than we have a handle on them. And Jesus saw that in this young man's life. And the Bible says he laughed really, really sad. And Jesus said, Luke 18, verse 29 to 30, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And so Jesus ends with, hey, if whatever you sow into the kingdom of God, you will reap a reward in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now too often, the religion promotes only the fact that the treats are at the end of the journey. How many of you know God wants to treat us on the journey? Yes. 
If you're going to take a long journey and you pack up your family and you pack up the kids and you don't plan to make too many stops, you better fill a cooler with treats for the kids or you're going to be absolutely going out of your mind, right? And we need treats on the journey. God is a good God. He is a rewarder. And he's not only going to reward us in eternity. God wants to reward us in this life as well. Come on, if you want to sign up for that, give me an amen. amen. Tell God you agree. That's who he is. I pointed out to you that what's really interesting that in the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Synoptic means gospels that carry many of the same stories and they correspond to each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do that. And in the synoptic gospels, uh, what's really interesting is this clincher that Jesus says. Anybody who gives up, their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, they give up wealth for the kingdom of God will receive so much more in this life and in the age to come as well. And he says that in Luke 18, 29, and 30. And I shared with you how Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 and 30 says exactly the same thing. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30 says the same thing again. So this story is repeated three times and... For whatever reason, God saw fit that every time this answer comes up in verse 29 and verse 30. And God is really wanting to make the point, listen, it's not even about rewards. It's not even about getting blessed. It's about revealing the nature of God. People are more convinced that God wants to hate them and God wants to judge them and God wants to come down on them than they are of the fact that God wants to bless them and God wants to help them and God wants to reward them. Most people are afraid of God. And if we're honest and took a survey here, we would all have to agree that on a regular basis, we get like a spirit of condemnation and we feel like we're not good enough. And sometimes religion, certain religions especially, drum it into you to such a point where we walk around constantly expecting God to vomit up judgment on us. And here's God telling this story through Christ, and he's saying, listen, I am so good that if I ask you to give up everything you have and give it to the poor, I am so good that I will give back to you in this life, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over, and you will reap rewards in eternity as well. Now, how many of you can give a high five to a God like that? Come on, put your hands together and tell him you appreciate that. It's in the Bible for a reason. God is revealing his character through every verse in the Bible. And so it's showing the face of God. It's showing that he's not the way people have misrepresented him. How many of you have ever had a, a friend or an acquaintance and they've always misjudged you and mischaracterized you and always misread your motives? Has anybody? Ever had that misfortune? Can I see your hands? Don't you feel wonderful when that happens? 
The devil does that with God all the time. And he talks to us and he's constantly trying to pervert the image of God in our mind so that we see God the wrong way. Okay, I made a couple of statements. I want to move quick. God is good. If we put this up, absolutely morally pure, incapable of the slightest tinge of gray, there is no bias in God. He doesn't love your brother more than he loves you. He doesn't love your sister more than he loves you. He doesn't love your cousin more than he loves you. He doesn't love you, uh, 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 your neighbor more than he loves you. There is no bias in God, none whatsoever. Do you understand that if God was biased, he would be unjust? And God cannot be unjust. There is no prejudice in God. He is not prejudiced uh, towards a particular color of skin. He is not prejudiced towards a certain personality type. He is not prejudiced towards a certain people group. He is not prejudiced in any way, shape, or form. He loves us all equally. Uh, what price did Jesus pay to save you? Okay, and what was it? His life. Okay, what nationality are you? Half Italian, half Irish. Juan, what nationality are you? Spanish. What price did Jesus pay to save you? He died for you, his life. So he paid the same price for a Spanish man as he did for an Italian Irish woman. No prejudice. Roger. What price did Jesus pay to save you? He gave his life. He paid the same price for a black man, a man of color, as he did for a Latino man, as he did for an Italian woman. There is no prejudice in God. None whatsoever. He is good. You understand good means he is absolutely out of this world pure to a level that we have never ever seen in our human existence. There's no prejudice, there's no unrighteousness in him, and there is no injustice in him. Man, that's the kind of God I love. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what side of town you were born in. It doesn't matter if you are a have or a have not. It doesn't matter if you're an aristocrat or you're just a rat. It doesn't matter. God loves you just the same. I love it. The next thing I said was you will only ever trust God to the level that you perceive the goodness of God. Why is this image of God so important? Because if you're going to have a relationship with him, you will never ever trust him until you're absolutely convinced that there's no bias, no prejudice, no unrighteousness, and no injustice in him. When you get the picture that God is absolutely perfect, it becomes a lot easier to trust him. Amen. What do you think, Larry? Amen. Are you with me? Good, I'm glad you're with me. I wouldn't want to have to tackle you after the service. <laughs> I made another statement. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. And so if you always perceive God to be stingy, if you always perceive God to be not, never satisfied, he's always critical, he's always picking on something. Listen, we often overshadow God with the image of our parent figures. 
And so if you've had a, a less than wonderful uh, father relationship or mother relationship, it often overshadows onto the image of God. If I remember from creation, God was bringing his image onto mankind until mankind fell. Now that we're falling, the de fallen, the devil's always trying to take our fallen image and cast it onto God. What an injustice. Isn't that right, Jeff? Absolutely. And so you will only experience the God you perceive. Why? Because if you believe that God isn't generous, you will never experience the abundance of God. Jesus made this statement many times when he healed people. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. To the picture or the parameters that you have set up of my goodness, according to your faith, be it unto you. So I want you to understand that the image of God is key to your life. The image that you have of God deep down in your heart is absolutely central to whether or not you are living a successful, happy, fulfilled life. Somebody give him an amen. Two weeks ago, I mentioned the fact that uh, not only are rewards a kingdom concept, but God is a rewarder. And we looked at Hebrews eleven six real quick, and I said, uh, the Bible says, it, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And there are four words in that verse that I pulled out of the Greek, and the four words are, it is impossible to please, please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe, that was the second word, uh, and that he exists and that he rewards, that's the third word, and the fourth word, earnestly seek him. And what we found when we looked those words up in the original Greek context, this is what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please, to give pleasure to, to gratify God entirely. Because anyone who comes to him must believe, they must be persuaded and affirm and have confidence that he exists and that he rewards. He remunerates from his treasury those who earnestly seek, search out, crave, inquire of him, seek carefully and, di and diligently after him. God is a rewarder. When we understand he's a rewarder, we do ourselves a favor. When we allow our image of God to come in line with what the word of God says, we are actually unlocking our lives. The more we curse him with a wrong image, and when I say curse him, project onto him an image that is religious, not only do we do him a disservice and a dishonor, we dishonor and disservice our own lives because we have limited the flow of who God is into our day-to-day -day experience. Hello? Turn to somebody and say, this is good preaching. I need to get this. Go on, say it. I need to get this. 
Now turn to somebody else, tap them on the shoulder if they're in front of you and say, you need to get this. Are you listening? <laughs> All right. Look, I, I know I, I, I'm playing and I'm making fun, but this is really such a critical issue because for so long, the church has presented an image of God that doesn't line up with the word of God. And stinking religion sticks. I'm gonna say it again, stinking religion sticks. It sticks in our head and we have these ugly pictures of God and the devil laughs because we buy into that picture and that very picture is what stops the blessing from coming into our lives. What, a, what an amazing strategy. It's a dastardly strategy. It's a terrible strategy, but how perfect and evil that strategy is. If he could pervert your image of God, he will pervert your experience of God. Yeah. Praise God. How many of you are going to go home and sometime this week try to listen to this message again? I think it's worth listening to again, all right? So today, I'm going to preach on the God you perceive. The God you perceive. Not the God religion told you about. The God you perceive. How do you perceive him? There's a story in 2 Kings. Pastor Steve st told a story from the Old Testament last week, so I thought I'd take a page from his notebook and I'd preach a sermon from the Old Testament. How's that? Thank you, Pastor Steve. Nobody laughed. <laughs> Second Kings chapter four, starting with verse one. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. So this woman was married to a prophet. She cries out to Elisha, the head prophet, saying, your servant, your servant, he served you. He served the temple. He served the ministry of prophets. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. This woman was in debt. Her husband, the breadwinner, the man of God, her covering, the one who would believe God and manna would come down from heaven, so to speak. He's dead. She has a mountain of debt. She owes money on her mortgage. She has two young sons, and a creditor is coming to take her sons as slaves to pay off the debt with a lot of interest. I want you to notice something. Who did she go to? She went to the top. She went to the man of God. She didn't go to her neighbor and complain and cry and say, my husband served the house of God and he was a prophet and now he's gone and I'm destitute and I'm a beggar and they're gonna come and get my kids. No, she went straight to the source. Somebody say amen. She didn't go around town criticizing God. She went to the man of God and she said, you know your servant feared the Lord. Sometimes we have to look into each verse and see what's written behind the verse. 
The mere fact that she says, you know, your servant feared the Lord. What she was saying is that he was a good man, a godly man. He loved God with all of his heart. You see, her husband passed his faith or his judgment of, of God's character. It rubbed off on her. She's going to the man of God, the one person that can make a difference. She's going to God. She's not crying in the corner of her bedroom. She's not complaining. She didn't start a gossip group. She didn't get on Facebook and start telling everyone that her emotions today are sad. Okay, you've all been there. You've seen it. All right. She's, she's not writing to the editor of a newspaper, you know, and telling her sad story. She didn't open up a GoFundMe page. She's not feeling sorry for herself and she's not criticizing God and she's not belittling the ministry. She goes to the man of God, she goes to the house of God, she goes to God, so to speak, and says, my husband feared you. She's going to him not to complain. She's going to him to get an answer because her husband's picture of God, her husband's faith of God rubbed off on her and she saw God answer many prayers and she was believing in God and going straight back to the source for a miracle. Isn't that awesome? When you're angry at God, you don't go to God. When you're angry at God, you go to everybody else. When people are angry at me, they don't come to me. Chickens. <laughs> they write me letters with no name, no address. <laughs> Just so that you know, when we get letters with no names, no address, I don't read them. They go straight in the bin because I don't need those jabs in my soul. I am flesh like everybody else. Amen. But the, tr the truth of the matter is that when we have an angst against someone, we don't go to them. The Bible says we should, but we don't. Human nature hates conflict, and human nature loves to criticize. It hates conflict, but conflict brings the possibility of resolution. Criticism will never bring the possibility of res resolution. And so Jesus says, face your conflict. Go to the person concerned. Because relationship is always totally important in the kingdom of God. God wants to fix relationships. So he says, if you got a grievance, go to the person that you're grieving over and sort it out. This woman, if she had a grievance against God, wouldn't have gone to God. But she knew that her husband was a prophet and that God often answered his prayers. And so even in the midst of her tragedy, in the midst of her loss, even in the fact that her husband was now deceased and they have a mortgage and they've not been paying on it and the interest has been mounting and creditors are going to take her sons, she goes to the God of her husband whom she saw perform many miracles in the past and she goes with expectation. You see, if she had the wrong picture of God, she would have gone to the gossip columnist. She would have gone to, uh, uh, 
one of these rag magazines you find in the supermarket as you're getting ready to check out, and she'd sell a story for $20,000. No. She went straight to God because her husband had painted with his life a very clear-cut picture of a good God. Men, be careful because the God you perceive will be the God your family sees. I'm talking to every man in this house. The God you perceive is the God your family will see. Women, be careful. The God that you perceive is the God your children will see. And so if you have a, a distorted, maligned image of God, that's what your children will grow up believing about God. And what we don't realize is here is the second stage of the cancer, the hurt that is in us, the wrong image of God that is in us that has never been fixed, that we never attended to. We allowed our past hurts, our past fears, and our past religion to stay tucked in there. We never reasoned with ourselves purely on a human level. If he's God, he's got to be better than humanity. And if he's better than humanity, I should judge him better than I'm thinking of him. Not even from a logical perspective do we ever entertain this and deal with our misconceptions of who God is, let alone go back to the Word. And what we don't realize is that the cancer that's in us, the wrong image of God that's in us, that is already shutting the door of God's blessing on our life, now gets transferred to our family and our children have just been cursed because the God we perceive is the God they will see. Wow, that was deep. That was good preaching. Come on, church. Are you hearing me today? It behooves you to put all your faith in God. It behooves you to believe in Jesus Christ and know that he comes to bring life and life more abundantly. It behooves you to make a clear demarcation in your head and say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But my Savior, my Jesus, my hero, my Lord, my Master has come to bring me life and life more abundantly. It behooves you because when the right image of God is in you, then that's the God who will show up and minister to you. And then that's the God your kids will see. I've often said the greatest thing. My parents didn't leave us a huge inheritance. I have two older brothers. They were missionaries in Australia. Both of my parents are with the Lord. I look forward to seeing them one day. But I will tell you every day, any day of the week, any year of my life, the best thing that they did for me was that they sold themselves out to serve God because they put an image in this little boy's mind that even though we went to Australia and left all of our Italian family back here in the States, and even though I'd wake up 
10 years old, 11 years old, crying because I had dreamed of my grandma and grandpa and knew that they were in another country and I might not see them again. They might pass away. Even though I had those images, it instilled in me an image that God must be so wonderful that my parents would make such a sacrifice to serve him. They couldn't have given me a better start in life than to serve God passionately and with all their heart. Are you hearing me, church? Am I preaching to anybody today? Okay. Praise God. Church, I said men, I said women, church, be careful because the God you perceive is the God the world around you will see. When, when trouble comes, the Bible says that we are often the only epistle, the only part of the Bible that unsaved people will ever read. They're not going to pick up the King James Version. They might not even pick up the Passion Bible. They might be in a hotel and there's a Gideon's Bible in the drawer and they're not going to look at it. They're going to turn the TV on. But they will read you. If you sing Jesus, if they know you're, you're a believer, then when hard times knock on your door, they're going to read you. They're going to watch you. They're going to look at you. And depending on how you perceive God, that will determine whether you're up or whether you're down. And the God you perceive is the God that they will see. The Bible says, well... We, we see from the scripture, she immediately went to the source. She went to the man of God who represents God. God is the source. You see, she had an expectation that the God her husband served was the God who was going to meet her needs now. Look at me. Do you believe God will meet your needs? When you're in a crisis... And the answer is slow and coming. Bob Dylan sings a song, Slow Train Coming. When it looks like God's on that slow train coming. And he hasn't answered yet. Does the world hear the grumbling? Does the world see you in depression? Or does the world see you convinced of the character of God and therefore anxiously and excitedly waiting for a supernatural breakthrough. The God you perceive is the God you'll receive from. The God you perceive is the God you will receive from. If you perceive God to be harsh and judgmental, that's what you'll get. Not because we redefine the image of God, but because we've shut out the blessing of God. We don't make up who God is. God is who he is. But I want you to understand that if we have the devil's perspective of God in an area of God's character, then the devil's perspective becomes a blockage to that area of God and we don't receive from God. Absolutely. You don't redefine the image of God. You could think he's an absolute creep. The bottom line is God is awesome and wonderful. But whatever we perceive about God, when it doesn't line up with God's word, that wrong perspective 
is a demonic blockage in our life, and so we will never receive the light of God in that area of our life. Am I making sense? Is this preaching to you? So the God you perceive is the God you will receive from. So verse 2, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? You see, she goes to him for an answer. There's expectation. He saw it. He sensed it. She didn't come complaining. She didn't come to criticize. He knew she came to him with expectation. And his immediate response is, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but one final jar of oil just one jar of oil that's it we sang that worship song today i don't have anything fit to bring a king but i bring my worship can i stop and make a dig here how many of you will allow your pastor to make a dig at you i don't have the kind of wealth that would impress god he paves his roads with gold what am I going to give him? A gold bracelet? God looks at that gold bracelet and said, you dug up the road? You're putting a bit of tar on my wrist? I don't have anything great or auspicious, kingly or royally to bring him, but I can bring him my heart. I could bring him my worship. I could bring him my wholeheartedness. So here's the dig. When it's time for worship, even if you had a gold Mercedes Benz, totally solid gold, if you had a Maserati, where's... I won't say any names. Even if you had a gold Bentley, do you honestly think that's going to impress God? It's not. His wealth and his capacity far exceeds that. But what he wants is the transparency and the enthusiasm of our heart. And then we come to church. Here's the dig. Are you ready? You said you were willing to get the dig. Then we come to church and we have to wait for the worship pastor and the singers to get us stirred up enough before we could be excited about being in God's house. And you know what? God sees past all the music and he sees the sound that's coming out of in here. I have determined a long time ago I might be going through the ringer but when I get to God's house I'm going to squeeze every ounce of praise out of myself because he deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves it. Amen. I want to change the culture of this church. I want to change the culture of this church. I, I'm telling you right now, as your pastor, I don't want you to wait till the worship leaders call you out the front. They're not giving you permission. They're sort of struggling to get you out there so that they could physically help you enter in. So I'm telling you, I want to change the culture of this church. And... I want, I don't care if you're 80 years old. 
If you're 80 years old, come like a little kid. Show all the young ones how to do it. Don't wait for them to say, come and worship. Come out the front and worship. Put your stodginess, your religion, put your bad day, put your bad hair, put your bad wig on the seat. Leave it behind. Come out the front and say, God, it's about you and me. I don't have anything worth giving you, but I'm bringing me. Hello? Can we change the culture of the church in this area? When it comes time to praise and worship, whether you're a thumpy music person or a country western music person or you're an opera type of person or you're a no music kind of person, can we agree that when it's worship time from the get-go, we're going to jump in and give God everything? Pastor Steve, are you convinced yet? All right, Pastor Steve, I want you to stand here by this pillar, and you're going to represent the whole team. You're not the team. You just represent the whole team. Now, listen, I, I always want our services to be very practical, and I want them to be fun. I also try to do things so that it sticks in our head so that you remember, okay? We remember pictures more than we remember words. Hello? We remember pictures more than we remember words. So I want everyone to stand right now. Come on, stand with me. I want you to turn towards Pastor Steve. He represents the whole worship team. They, they are the people who work and pray to bring us into the presence of God. So I want you to look at him representative of the team and representative of they want to take us into God's presence. Now remember... I said to you, I want to change the culture of this church. So I want everyone to look at him and, and repeat after me. Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve we, want we want to be different. We want to start, want to start every, service every service with a heart full of gratitude, full of gratitude towards, God. towards God. Towards God. We understand. We, understand. we don't deserve him. But he wants us. us. And out of gratitude, gratitude, we're going to run after him every Sunday Sunday. and love him him. with the depths of our heart heart. from the very first song. song. In Jesus' name, name. amen. 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 Thank you. So Elijah said, what shall I do for you? She says, well, I've only got a jar of oil, one last measly jar. I don't have much to offer. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Get them. Go borrow them from every neighbor you can. Now watch what he says. Do not gather just a few. How many of you know what he's saying here? God is making a promise. Sometimes we can read the words of God's promise and we don't see it. He's making a promise. Go gather as many jars as you can from your neighbors. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Don't just get a few. 
God was giving her a promise hidden under the surface. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you do with the promises of God? This book is filled with promises. There are thousands of promises, and they tell us that they are broken down into 750 or more categories. There is a category to fit every area of your life, every area of your life. There is a category in the Bible, and there are promises to bring you a breakthrough. What do you do with the promises of God? Do you stand on the promises? Do you believe the promise more than you believe your current situation? Do you believe what God said he will do more than you believe the wind and the waves, more than the hurricane, more than the economy, more than the bad news on TV? What do you believe? What do you do with the promises of God? I want to tell you today, if we don't hang on to the promises of God, we're done for. How literally do you take those promises? How literally? If God puts a promise in his word and it's not real, it's not literal, because they're in his word, he just broke his word. How can you break your word? How can you be a person who breaks your word and be morally perfectly good? When somebody breaks their word to you and you're like a little puppy dog, you're going to get a doggy treat. And then they don't give it to you. Do you have a high opinion of that person after a while? No. How can God be morally good and pure if he makes a promise and puts it in his word but then doesn't keep his word? How literal do you take the promises of God? You see, how literally... You take the promises of God, literally determines how you perceive God. Amen. Oh, that was good. That was good. It's, it's not on the notes. How literally you take the promises of God, literally determines how you perceive God. And to not take God's promises literally means we don't take him for real. We take him as a joke. Well, he's half kidding. He doesn't mean it. He tends to exaggerate. Hello? That's the same poo-poo that the devil was selling in the Garden of Eden. And it's the mess that we have today. I said a couple of weeks ago, the whole world is worried about who's got nuclear warfare. I want to tell you there's something that's devastated the world more than nuclear weapons, and that is the lie that the devil sowed into humanity back in the Garden of Eden, and he's been selling the same lies ever since. Praise God. Good preaching. Okay, how literally do you take them? How much stock do you put on the promises of God? Because to the level that you absolutely are convinced in his promises determines the level that, you're, that you are convinced about God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Christ. In other words, God in heaven spills off all of these promises, and Jesus is saying, yes, 
I died for that. Yes, I shed my blood for that. Yes, Father, I went to the cross so that that promise could be fulfilled. Yes, 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 yes. You know what that tells me? Jesus takes the promises of God literally because he literally paid for every promise with his blood. But the second part of that verse goes on and says, and so through the church, the amen is spoken by us. Amen means that's how it's gonna be. You see, Jesus is totally in agreement with the promises of God to the point where he gave his life to fulfill every promise. He literally believed the promises that are written for healing, deliverance, rescue, prosperity, breakthrough. He literally believed that his father meant every word and he laid his life down on it so that you could have that promise. But for that to be activated in our lives, the Bible says, and the church has to come into agreement and say, that's what's gonna happen for me. That's what amen means. That's what's gonna happen for me. It's not just written in a book. It's not just ink on a page. It's the blood of Jesus screaming through the heavens saying, amen, yes, yes. And when we come into agreement, like Jesus literally came into agreement with the Father, we unlock the image of God to be the spirit of truth. And anything he says is anything I could have. Is, he, is that good preaching? Praise God. Let's go back to the story. I'm gonna wrap this up. Verse four. And the prophet says to her, go get as many jars as you can and don't ask for just a few. There's a promise there. So many times we read promises in the Bible and we don't take it literal. We don't really believe God's gonna do it for us. Well, he'll do it for Mary, but he won't do it for me. We just told God he's not really good. He's biased. He has a prejudice. He doesn't like me as much as the next person. Listen, whatever your inferiority tells you, curse that thing. Yeah. Rebuke that devil. Yeah. Whatever that spirit of rejection says to you that stops you from believing that God can love you and your entity and in his entirety, rebuke that spirit of rejection that talks to you and say, stop lying to me. In Jesus' name. You are cursing me, and I am not going to receive that anymore. We need to get serious with our mind and the things that we hear. We need to get serious with our emotions and rebuke them in Jesus' name so that we come into divine order. You know what divine order is? Being in agreement with God. God the Father makes a promise. God the Son goes to the cross to fulfill the promise. God the Holy Spirit releases the power of God to make it happen. But it won't happen till the church says, that's how it is for me. And notice it says, and the amen is spoken by us, the church, to the glory of God. All those promises that God meant that Jesus literally believed and he died for, 
When you come into agreement and say, no, I'm going to get that. No, I'm going to have my breakthrough. No, I'm going to have my miracle. When we come into agreement, God then can release the promise into our lives, and God receives the glory. Ah, come on, give the Lord a hand. Okay. Verse 4, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels. Take that one jar of oil, pour it into all the vessels, and set aside the ones you fill up. So she went from him, she shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her. They went to the neighborhood. They said, we need as many jars as we can borrow. Big ones, small ones, doesn't matter. Mom needs as many jars. To the level, listen, to the level that they literally believed the prophet. That's to the level that they persisted and pushed and got jars. Would you agree? So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another one. I'm pouring it out. That one's full. I can't believe it. I'm pouring it out. Two full. Mine is still full. Three full. Five full. Ten full. Wow, this is exciting. I could sell this on the market and pay off the creditors. 20, 30, 40, 50. Come on, boys. Bring me the next jar. When she asked for the next jar, it says this here. Bring me another vessel. And she said to, and he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Can I put, put it up on the screen for me? Where her perception of God stopped, her persistence came to an end. Think about it. Where her perception of God stopped, her persistence came to an end. To the degree that you believe God is serious about doing a miracle, that's to the degree and to the level that you will persist and push in. And so when her perception of God stopped, whatever the boundaries were, in her mind of how big God is or how generous God is or how good God is. Whatever the boundaries were, that's where her persistence came to an end. So she believed God would fill 40 jars. They got 40 jars. Maybe 40 was a stretch, but she got 40. Maybe she believed God would fill 60 jars, so they pushed and pushed and pushed. But how many of you know that if she had pushed for 1,000 jars, God would have filled 1,000 jars? And if she pushed for 2,000 jars, God would have fulfilled 2,000 jars. Now, it's very easy for you and me to clap while we have our butts toasting on a nice cushy seat here, and we're not in the predicament. But I'm telling you this in your moment of comfort so that when you're in your moment of crisis, you remember. I'm telling you this so that in your, in your moment of comfort, so that when you're in your moment of crisis, you remember. Your picture of God will determine how much persistence and push through you will have. 
Let's go to the next one. Where her, perception, where her perception of God stopped and her persistence came to an end, so did her anointing for a miracle. God will go as far as your picture is big of him. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Come on. If God wanted to, he could have had her original jar. She gets to the last jar, and she keeps pouring it out on the floor. Oh, it's not stopping. It's not stopping. Well, I might as well pour some on my head. Come here, boys. Let me pour some on you. It's not stopping. No, God moved to the level of her faith. And she persisted to the level of her faith. The God you perceive. The God you perceive is the God you will receive from. So I think that's pretty cool where her perception of God stopped and her persistence came to an end, so did her anointing for a miracle. Listen, church, if you want to keep receiving miracle after miracle from God, keep expanding. You know, in the natural, we talk about expand your horizons, Forget your flipping horizons. They have limitations. Expand God's horizons. Let the picture of God in you be ever increase and become bigger and bigger because God will fill the picture you make of him. Wow, this is good preaching. It's very good. When the, let's go to the next one. When the anointing of God stopped, her oil stopped flowing. When the anointing of God stopped, her oil in her jar stopped flowing. Here's an interesting thing. Do you know that the oil, oil is synonymous with anointing? In the Bible, whenever God talks about oil, he talks about the anointing. Whenever he talks about the anointing, he talks about oil. Here's this woman, it's her oil for cooking, for doing whatever she does with it, her household chores. But where the anointing of God stopped, her oil stopped. Listen to me. Where you put a period on the image of God, that's where the period will be of God showing up in your life. Whoa! This was worth coming to church for today. How am I doing, Dave? Doing great. Are these good one-liners? But they're powerful. They're true. Church, are you hearing me? When the anointing of God stopped, the oil in her life, the anointing in her life stopped. God can only be through you as big as the window or the picture you have of him. No wonder the devil wants to hide the promises. No wonder the devil wants to throw the picture of your dad in there. No wonder he wants to throw the picture of rejection or your first husband who divorced you or your wife who left you because he wants to damage your image of God so that your experience of how much of God you, you walk with through life will be limited. Woo. When the anointing, the oil of God stopped, her oil stopped. When the anointing of God stopped, her anointing stopped. If you want to live in a life of the miraculous, 
You've got to keep seeing God as bigger and bigger and bigger and better and better and better. The hand of God's blessing on your life will be as big as the perception you have of him. The hand of God's blessing on your life will be as big as the perception you have of him. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, Daniel says this. He's prophesying about end times. And he's talking about times closer to us than they were to him. And he talks about the people in those days, and he says it's going to get tough. But he goes on and he makes a statement, a very powerful promise, and he says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. In other words, the people who know their God, the people who have a correct perception of God, they're going to be strong. They're going to make it. You see, if you got a weak-minded, a weak-hearted, a weak-handed picture of God, that God isn't going to take you through difficulties. And so Daniel says that the people who know their God will be strong and they will carry out great exploits. In other words, the oil of God, the anointing of God will flow through their lives and they will carry the anointing and the oil of God and they will see supernatural manifestations. He's the God of breakthrough. He's the God of answers. He's the God who shows up and he always shows up on time. Somebody give him an amen. Amen means that's how it is. Tell God, that's how it is. Let him know you believe it. Get on you, buddy. Remind me his name. Messiah. I like it when you agree with me. I'm going to tell everyone to shout again, and I want you to shout. You ready? Come on, everyone, shout. Yay! Come on, Messiah. You do it on your own. Go, yay! One more time. Stand on the chair. Show all these grown-ups how to do it. Give me a big shout. There you go. Shout! Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> all right. So Daniel says, they who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. What takes me through difficult times is how big a picture of God I have in my heart. This is the antidote to depression. This is the antidote to fear. This is the antidote to suicide. This is the antidote to every negative thought. The picture, depending on how big your picture is of God, that's what it will carry you through. In the Hebrew, the word know, they that know their God is the word yada. It means, watch this, to know. Oh, that was deep. <laughs> Properly to ascertain by seeing. The people who know their God. The people who have understood him because they see him. Not with your natural eyes. They see him. They get him. I'm not a huge movie buff, but I do like watching movies. And at one time I had a 3D TV and Avatar came out in 3D. And so I loved watching them flying through, you know, you saw that in 3D. It was just fantastic, and I'd watch it over and over again. And uh, for those of you who don't know the movie Avatar, uh, 
take too long to explain. <laughs> but the point is, these people from another planet, Avatar, in their language, to know someone, they would express that by saying, I see you. I see you. But it went a lot deeper than, tell me your name again. I know I met you three weeks ago. Natalie. Natalie, there you go. You're all excited about helping out in the children's church and stuff like that. See, I know you. <laughs> but I know you on this level. See, you told me that, didn't you? Yeah. And you told me that you had already started filling in the form online. And I told you, see, my daughter, I know you like that. I didn't know you enough to remember your name, Natalie. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but there's a lot more to Natalie. And this phrase, to know, to ascertain God by seeing him, doesn't mean we just know this much. We see him. We see his heart. We understand him. I don't think there's anything worse in life than to live with someone who's supposed to be close to you and never be seen. It's a lonely existence. To live in a world filled with people and to feel like you're never seen. Daniel says, when we really see God, when we know him, when we have the right perception of him, it changes everything. Because we will be able to go through difficulties in life because we have this great picture of God and we know it's not an exaggeration. Isn't that awesome? That is absolutely powerful. Absolutely powerful. All right. Verse 7, she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons can live on the rest. You know what this tells me? God broke her debt and put her into prosperity. You see, for some of us, our picture would be, okay, God will give me 50% uh, of my debt. Yay, I'm a long way off. Now I can promise my creditors, you know, I, see, I'm good. I got 50%. No. Some of us would see God pays off the debt. Hey, I'm debt free. I'm broke, but I'm debt free. <laughs> Give me five weeks and I'll be in debt again. No, this woman had a picture of God that was big enough to gather enough jars so that she paid off her mortgage. She paid off three months worth of groceries. And now she has, according to the prophet, enough money for you and your two sons to live on. See, if I didn't just say that, we'd think, yeah, well, she had some chump change. Why do we limit what that verse can mean? He says, there's enough left over for you and your two sons to live on. We assume, okay, maybe a couple of months. No, why not the rest of their lives? You see, according to your faith, according to how we perceive God, stand with me.